Today is the 29th day of November. Welcome to the Daily Audio Bible. I am Brian. It is wonderful to be here with you today as we continue the journey forward. And our next step forward together here around the global campfire is in the book of Daniel. So let's dive in today, Daniel chapter 6. Darius decided to rule by stationing 120 officers strategically over the entire empire. Over the officers, he appointed three governors, including Daniel, and required each officer to report directly to them. This way, the new king hoped not to lose any territories from his recent conquests or the revenue they provided. Because of Daniel's exceptional abilities, it wasn't long before he distinguished himself over the other governors and officers. So the king decided to appoint him as head over the entire realm. This appointment did not sit well with the other leaders. So the governors and officers tried to find reasons to level charges against Daniel for the way he supervised the kingdom. Though they tried, they could find no basis for charges or any corruption in his office. Daniel was loyal and attentive in his duties. The conspirators said, We will never find any credible basis for charges against Daniel for how he conducts his office. Perhaps we can uncover some suitable charge in regard to the law of his God. The governors and officers agreed and went to the king with what they thought would be a way to entrap Daniel. They said to the king, May King Darius live forever. All the leaders of the empire, the governors, prefects, officers, advisors, and other administrators, have consulted together and are in complete agreement that the king should issue an edict and enforce it strictly to the effect that anyone who prays to another, whether divine or human, except for you, of course, good king, for a period of 30 days, will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, we ask that you establish such an ordinance and sign it into law so that it cannot be changed. For the laws enacted by the Medes and Persians cannot be rescinded. After considering their proposal, King Darius signed the ordinance and made it law. Even though Daniel was aware the king had signed the ordinance into law, he continued to do what he always did. He would go home, ascend the stairs to the upper room, which had windows facing toward Jerusalem, and get down on his knees three times a day and pray to his God and praise him. One day the conspirators came to his house and found Daniel on his knees praying and seeking God's help. So they went back to the king and asked to speak to him about the edict he had made. They said, O king, did you not sign an edict expressly forbidding anyone, regardless of his nationality, to pray to another? whether divine or human, except for you, of course, good king, for a period of three days, or else he would be thrown into the lion's den? And king Darius said, Indeed, I did sign it, and I intend to enforce it according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, 
It cannot be rescinded. Why do you ask? And the conspirators said to the king, Well, recently we found your servant Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, kneeling and praying at his home three times a day to his God. He is ignoring you, O king, and the edict you signed into law. When the king heard the charge, he was very upset. He thought a great deal of Daniel, so he tried to figure out a way to help him. All day long until evening, he looked for some loophole in the law to keep Daniel from falling victim to his edict. The conspirators returned to press the matter further. They said to the king, We have no need to remind the king that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no edict established by the king can be revoked, changed, or ignored. With his honor at stake, the king had no choice. He gave the order for Daniel to be captured. Before Daniel was thrown into the pit with the lions, the king spoke to him. Darius said, May your God, the God you have served so faithfully, rescue you. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and a stone was brought in and placed over the opening to shut the mouth of the den. The king himself sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his nobles. That way no one could tamper with the pit and nothing could happen to change Daniel's fate. The king retired to his palace and spent the night fasting. That evening he stayed to himself, turning down his regular evening musical entertainment. When he finally went to bed, he could not sleep. When first light of the morning finally arrived, the king got up and didn't waste any time returning to the lion's den. As he drew near the den... With anguish in his voice, he called out to Daniel, hoping somehow he was still alive. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, the one you have served so faithfully, been able to rescue you from these hungry lions? And Daniel said to the king, Long live the king. As soon as you shut the mouth of this den... My God sent his heavenly representatives to shut the mouths of these hungry lions so that they could not hurt me. He has rescued me because I am as innocent before him as I am before you, O king. I have done you no harm. The king could hardly contain his excitement and joy. He ordered that Daniel be taken out of the lion's den. He was removed and examined carefully but not even a scratch was found on him, all because he put his trust in his God. The king gave yet another order. This time he demanded that those who accused Daniel of wrongdoing be captured and thrown into the lion's den. But not only them, their wives and children too. As they were being pushed into the den, before they even hit the bottom, the lions jumped on them overpowered them and crushed their bones and their powerful jaws. Afterward, King Darius sent a message to all the peoples through the world, regardless of their heritage, nationality, or language. The message said, May peace and prosperity be yours. I decree that all people everywhere who live under my sovereign rule ought to tremble before and fear the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. 
His kingdom will never be overthrown. His reign will know no end. He saves and rescues those who fear him, performing signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. For he has rescued his servant Daniel from the power of the lions. With his enemies defeated, Daniel continued to thrive during the reign of Darius and into the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Second Peter 3 This is now, my dear friends, my second letter to you. In both of them, I have tried to inspire you to a sincere and pure way of thinking by reminding you of what you already know. Remember the words spoken earlier by God's holy prophets and the commandment that our Lord and Savior gave to you through your emissaries. Above all, be sure to remember that in the last days mockers will come following their own desires and taunting you, saying, So what happened to the promised second coming of Jesus? For everything keeps going just the way it has since our ancestors fell asleep in death. Since the beginning of creation, nothing's changed. When they make fun of you, it's as if the scoffers are deliberately forgetting that long ago, when God spoke the word, the heavens came into existence and the earth formed from water and by water. The waters later flooded and destroyed that world. By that same word, the heavens and earth we see now are being reserved for destruction by fire, preserved until the time comes for the godless on the day of judgment. Don't imagine, dear friends, that God's timetable is the same as ours. As the psalm says, For with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now the Lord is not slow about enacting His promise. Slow is how some people want to characterize it. No, He is not slow, but patient and merciful to you, not wanting anyone to be destroyed but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and turn toward God's. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night, and on that day the sky will vanish with a roar. The elements will melt with intense heat, and the earth and all the works done on it will be seen as they truly are. Knowing that one day all this will come to pass... Think what sort of people you ought to be. How you should be living faithful and godly lives, waiting hopefully for and hastening the coming of God's day when the heavens will vanish in flames and the elements melt away with intense heat. What will happen next and what we hope for is what God promised. A new heaven and a new earth where justice reigns. So, my friends, while we wait for the day of the Lord, work hard to live in peace without flaw or blemish and look at the patience of the Lord as your salvation. Our dearly loved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, has written about this 
He says essentially the same in all of his letters. Although uneducated and unstable readers misinterpret the difficult passages, just as they always misread scripture to their spiritual ruin. So hear my final words, my friends. Now that I have warned you about what's ahead, keep your guard and don't let unprincipled people pull you away from the sure ground of the truth with their lies and misunderstandings. Instead, grow in peace and in the true knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus, the Anointed, to whom be glory now and until the coming of the new age. Amen. Psalm 119-129-152 Pay Your decrees inspire wonder. Because of that, my soul desires to keep them. When your words are unveiled, light shines forth. They bring understanding to the simple. My desire for your commands left me waiting, open-mouthed and panting. Acknowledge me and show me your grace, as is your habit toward all those who love your name. Guide my steps in the ways of your word, and do not let any sin control me. Rescue me from the torment of my human oppressors, so that I may live according to your decrees. Let your face shine upon your servant." and help me to learn what you require. My eyes shed rivers of tears whenever people fail to keep your teaching. Tzad, you are good and just, O Eternal One, and your rulings are rights. You have set out your decrees in justice, and they can be trusted. I am overwhelmed by my passion because my enemies have forgotten your words. Your promise is tested and true. That's why your servant loves it. I may be insignificant to some and hated by others, but at least I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness will last forever and your law is truth. Trouble and distress have overtaken me, but your commandments bring me great joy. Your decrees are right and true forever. Grant me understanding so that I may live. Kof, I called to you wholeheartedly. Answer me, O Eternal One. I will respect. I will follow your statutes. I cried out to you, rescue me, and I will live according to your decrees. I wake before the dawn and call for help. I hope in your words. My eyes do not shut before each watch of the night so that I can fix my mind on your word. Listen to my voice in keeping with your unfailing love. Preserve my life, O Eternal One, according to your just rulings. Those who wish me harm are moving closer to me. They are far away from your teaching. 
but you are near me, O Eternal One, and all you have commanded is true. I learned a long time ago that you established your decrees to last forever. Proverbs 28, 21, and 22 Showing favoritism is not good. Some will desert the truth for a measly crust of bread. A greedy person is in a hurry to get rich, but he is ignorant of the loss that is about to overtake him. Okay, guys, so we are about to finish the month of November. Like tomorrow is the last day of November, and we concluded Peter's second letter, known as Second Peter, today. And there is an exceptional and intense lesson for us in the final chapter of Second Peter. Actually, a lesson uh, large enough to be life changing, like a change of perspective that then could transform how we live. But to get at it, we kind of have to go into some context. Because one of the things we see in the last chapter of Second Peter is what we have seen not only in the ministry of Jesus, but throughout the New Testament. And that is essentially an apocalyptic worldview. And that sounds ominous enough. Uh, but ironically, we, ha- we too... We share an apocalyptic worldview. Whether we understood it in those terms or not, we share it. Basically, we believe that the world we live in is changing. And that will continue to happen. A dawning of a new era is coming. And for we who believe in Jesus... We are awaiting the inauguration of the kingdom with the king on the throne. And of course, when I say king, I'm talking about Jesus. We believe we are headed in that direction. But before that can happen, things have to get really bad, very challenging. Hardships for the world are out in front, unrest everywhere, but... As with the rest of the stories in the Bible, when all hope seems lost, the rescue comes and a new thing will be born. And in this case, a new heaven and a new earth. In a nutshell, that's an apocalyptic worldview. And this view was in the water in the first century during the time of the New Testament. It's one of the things that made people curious about Jesus. Here's the thing, though. Although we share this view, like that we are on a trajectory that is going somewhere and that in the end, all things will be new again, that this is going somewhere good, even though it may be difficult to get there. This is all going somewhere good. We share it a little bit differently than our brothers and sisters a couple of thousand years ago. And the difference is those couple of thousand years because it's been a couple of thousand years since Second Peter was written. But a couple of thousand years ago, a couple of thousand years 
hadn't passed yet, and they were expecting this to happen in their life. They were expecting Jesus to return and establish this kingdom imminently. If you are expecting the imminent arrival of something and, for example, a decade passes as you wait, something that you thought was immediate and a decade passes, then you start to wonder about that. You may not lose your hope in it, but you might think that you got your signals crossed somewhere and then if another decade passes, right? So like as the decades go by, people start wondering like, wait a second, you... The Savior was supposed to return, and we have been enduring, and things are only getting worse. Like, the closer we draw to Jesus, the more terrible things happen to us. So they were waiting for the same thing we're waiting for. They just expected it to happen a lot sooner, and we're still waiting for it to happen And we have the benefit of knowing like, okay, it wasn't going to happen in the first century because we're in the 21st century. So it's going to happen, but when we don't really know. So we live our lives accordingly, knowing that this is the trajectory, but we don't know when. At the time that Second Peter is written, years have passed. Jesus didn't return. What everybody thought was going to happen didn't happen the way everybody thought it was going to happen. And so it left a giant question marks and it brought about a lot of doubt and people were disappearing into the woodwork again. And so Peter addresses this. And so let me quote a couple of verses from Second uh, Peter chapter 3 that we read today. Above all, be sure to remember that in the last days, mockers will come following their own desires and taunting you, saying, So what happened to the promised second coming of Jesus? For everything keeps going just the way it has since our ancestors fell asleep in death, since the beginning of creation. Now things changed. And then Peter goes on to say, Don't imagine, dear friends, that God's timetable is the same as ours. As the psalm says, For with the Lord... One day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow about enacting His promise. Slow is how some people want to characterize it. No, He is not slow, but patient and merciful to you not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and turn toward God's. And this is where this lesson that is so impactful can begin to descend upon us. They're being impatient because they're expecting something. We live impatient because we're expecting something. And it didn't make sense to them and it doesn't make sense to us why we have to endure. Like, let's get on with it. Let's bring the perfection. Let heaven come down on earth as it is in heaven. Let's do this. Peter calls that impatience. Like he flips the whole thing around. Like we're expecting something, but 
Is God just delaying for no reason? Or are we being impatient? According to Peter, we're being impatient. And we're being impatient about something we should not be impatient about. So let me quote Peter again. The Lord is not slow about enacting his promise. He is not slow, but patient and merciful to you, not wanting anyone to be destroyed. So we get impatient about God's patience and mercy. The reason he is being patient, the reason this is taking so long, isn't because he just wants us to have to endure more generations of hardship. It's that he is merciful and doesn't want to lose anyone, doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. Or I'll just quote it from Peter. Not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and turn toward God's. That means, brothers and sisters, when we endure, we are collaborating with God's patience and mercy for the world. When we endure, we are the light of the world. We are the witness of for the good news in this world so that no one will be led into destruction. The work is obviously not done. We are a part of it. So if we just sit under our roofs, hiding out in closets and reading Bibles and awaiting the eastern sky to split, we're not collaborating at all. The reason God would be patient is because he doesn't want to lose anybody. Why are we so willing to lose the rest of the world? Just so that we can get out of here and get on with it. That's pretty convicting stuff. At least for me, I do not like to endure any more than anybody else at all. I want on earth as it is in heaven. Like, I want everything to be put back together again. I want to know what it feels like to have a day like that. And I'm looking forward to a forever like that. But that starts with a day like that. And it's so easy To just throw our hands up in the air and go, I give, like, I give up. And then we could think, ah, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to surrender. But to understand that God isn't withholding so that we have to suffer, but that he is withholding in his mercy to be patient so that all might hear the good news. That's a totally different way of looking at our lives. When we come by this passage each year, I literally have to sit down and think it through again. Not think it through like, is this true? But think it through like, man, I am. I 
have so much work to do. Like, what if God had not been patient and merciful toward me? Where would I be? Where would you be? And to consider that there are brothers and sisters in their life story that are on their way, that are on a collision course with Jesus, they just don't know it yet. Like, would we be like, ah, too bad, man. I have endured enough. Jesus, come back. I, I mean, they, they should have already figured this out. Just come back and make things right again so that I don't have to endure anything anymore. And that exposes something in us. And the thing that we need to understand is that the reason this is taking so long isn't because God's trying to rest up and have enough strength. It's because he doesn't want to lose anybody. May we align our hearts with the heart of God on this and understand that when we do have to endure, when we do have to face hardship, when there is suffering, especially when it's related to our faith, that we are collaborating with God and that we too are marveling at how patient He is. I mean, in my lifetime alone, if I had to be the sovereign God, and I don't even know how to think about that, but I'm not sure this world would still be standing, right? Like at some point you go, enough of this. The patience of God is remarkable. The patience of God has allowed us to be here today. If the brothers and sisters who were growing impatient in the first century got what they wanted, we wouldn't be here. And so it is for the sake of the world and the sake of the generations that we get on board with the heart of God and do whatever it takes to be a light in the darkness that all may know. Father, we invite you into that. It's very, very, very convicting. It exposes a bunch of stuff inside of each one of us. And forgive us. Forgive us for being so self-absorbed that what we want is for you to come make things right for us. When you want to make things right, period. And we have nowhere near the vantage point that you do. And so we trust you. We love you. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of this story at all. We thank you for your patience, your patience with us, your patience with the earth. May we be a part of the story that puts things back together again. Thank you for inviting us. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Your kindness leads me to